I'm Tyler Crawley. And I'm Taylor Griffin. And this is Access of Reason. Well, it's been a while since we've talked about impeachment, so I guess that's where we're going to start this episode of Access of Reason. I, of course, am Tyler Crawley, and with me, as always, Taylor Griffin. Taylor, what's up, man? How you doing, Tyler? Well, it's been an interesting two weeks in Washington as the Democrats launch an impeachment inquiry and President Trump does everything he can to derail it. So, Tyler, you've been talking to a lot of Republicans on your talk radio show in the morning. And the interesting challenge is how Republicans deal with this and navigate it. A lot of Republicans you're not hearing a lot from, but for base conservatives, that's been something that's been fairly frustrating. (laughs) Uh, Yes, um, I've had many people call my show, say they want the uh, Republicans to fight uh, more with the president. And I think that they're doing the best they can based on the position they have been put in by the president, where obviously they're they have not only a uh, they have sort of motivation to to not go against the president due to the power that he has over the base of the Republican Party, but the problem is is they can't come out and well the, the, and this is something that we that Taylor you and I know um, and most people do is that one of the the problems with defending the president is that you you make an argument and then later that day the president completely destroys that argument by making the exact <laughs> counter argument. And now you have to go back on. And so I think what a lot of Republicans have realized is that it's best just to stay quiet until the president has solidified a defense. Because if you come out too early, you have a very good chance that the president is going to contradict your argument. And then you're in a little bit of a problem. Um, And we've already kind of seen that to some extent. And so I think a lot of Republicans are staying quiet, thinking this is that's the best course of action. And they're probably right. Um, but yeah, the, the Republicans, I think are in a very, uh, peculiar place, um, on this issue of impeachment, but there's no one has really come out against them. There's been some, oh, well, if this happened, then maybe it's a problem, but nobody has split with the Republican party as of yet. Behind the scenes, Republicans know that there is something very uncomfortable about this. And a lot of Republicans are in a position where they were criticizing Bill Clinton for (laughs) things that they are now being asked to defend Trump for. And that's very hard to do. And I think that brings us to one of the topics that we wanted to talk about today, which is some of the nonsense, because at heart, this show is about taking on the war on nonsense. That's what we're about. You know, we always say the fundamental political divide is no longer left versus right. It's reality versus nonsense. And we are enemies of nonsense. So let's talk about a little of that nonsense. Now, the White House counsel sent a letter to Schiff and Cummings and Pelosi and Engel, who are leading the impeachment inquiry in the Congress. And in this letter, the White House counsel, a lawyer who went to law school, makes some legal arguments that just are absolutely constitutionally illiterate. I actually was having a conversation on my radio show about this, and that's what sparked this idea in my head. So I reached out to some of my friends who are attorneys, and I asked a very simple question because, you know, some of the arguments that are being made, you know, the the president has the right to, you know, uh, challenge his accuser, right to challenge some of the evidence. And I said, yeah, that's right. I mean, all these things, that's absolutely right. But what many people I think are missing, and this is also just a fundamental misunderstanding of impeachment. How many times have we heard, you got to impeach the president? People believe that impeachment means removal. Impeachment is an indictment. That's all it is. It means now you can go to trial 
And then the Senate has the trial. But so essentially the House is working like a grand jury. They are being convened as if they are a grand jury. And the one thing that's, you know, the, the idea that sparked in my head today, and a lot of this was based on the, the original argument that we heard from many, which was the hearsay argument. Oh, hearsay, you can't, you can't use hearsay uh, in a courtroom. And that's, well, besides the exceptions, and there are plenty of exceptions for the hearsay rule. However, you can use hearsay to get an indictment. And I started questioning, what else can you do to get an indictment? And from what I've heard, pretty much anything. Like the prosecutor has carte blanche to tell the grand jury whatever they want. And a defendant has zero right to challenge anything that is being introduced to the grand jury. All of the constitutional protections apply to the trial. They do not apply to the indictment. And so the House, you know, subpoenaing people, you know, if you get subpoenaed to a grand jury, you got to show up. And but you but you the, the protections to the defendant, because you are not a defendant yet do not apply. And this is something that is getting missed is that all of these arguments that are being made, whether it's hearsay, whether it's the right to face your accuser, whether it's challenging evidence, right to counsel. I mean, all of that applies to the trial. It does not apply to the indictment. And, and that is something that I think is, is uh, frustrating me because I, I sort of realized that. And I said, man, they're making a very disingenuous argument that any of these things would apply in any type of uh, legal proceeding, not to mention the fact that it's not a legal proceeding, which I know we're going to get into probably a little bit later, but that's the one thing that frustrates me. They're acting like these constitutional protections apply to the indictment when they don't. That's right. And the president's, the, the president's counsel's letter to the Congress specifically cites as its first complaint that the, that the impeachment inquiry violates due process rights of the president. As you said, Tyler, those due process rights don't apply here. And so the lack of participation, so they are no grounds for refusing to comply with the subpoenas of the Congress. Now, they can try to make arguments on separation of powers and that kind of thing. Those arguments probably will ultimately be found invalid by a court as they have in the past, especially in Richard Nixon's case, but the but but ultimately the 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 Congress has the power to decide to impeach a president for really almost whatever reason it chooses. The Constitution designates high crimes and misdemeanors, treason and bribery, and high crimes and misdemeanors, but it doesn't define what high crimes and misdemeanors are deliberately. The founders left that deliberately vague. But I want to go back to the idea that the president not complying with Congress's impeachment inquiry is okay. And a lot of people might say, well, from common sense, you wouldn't want to comply with people who are after you, right? But this is a government where there's laws, and that could potentially be an article of impeachment itself. And allow me to let Senator Lindsey Graham, then representative back in 1998 and a big Trump supporter, explain. Article three of impeachment against Richard Nixon. The article was based on the idea that Richard Nixon, as president, failed to comply with subpoenas of Congress. Congress was going through its oversight function to provide oversight of the president. When asked for information, Richard Nixon chose not to comply. And the Congress back in that time said, you're taking impeachment away from us. You're becoming the judge and jury. It is not your job to tell us what 
we need. It is your job to comply with the things we need to provide oversight over you. The day Richard Nixon failed to answer that subpoena is the day that he was subject to impeachment because he took the power from Congress over the impeachment process away from Congress, and he became the judge and jury. So as Senator Graham points out, the failure to comply with subpoenas of Congress in this impeachment process is in itself, by his own definition, an impeachable offense. And the president, in approaching the impeachment inquiry, seems to have the attitude of keep doing what he's doing and try to normalize it. And in the process, dig his hole deeper. So the president's not complying with subpoenas of Congress, which is in itself an impeachable offense. And he is also continuing to double down on this idea that it's okay to ask foreign leaders to investigate his rivals, which is what started it in the first place. Just the other day, you know, we find out that the president asked President Xi of China to investigate Biden as well. Whatever you think about Joe Biden or what he did, that's not the president's role. And that is not a purpose for which the leverage that the office of the presidency affords is to be used. Yeah, I will say that uh, as much as you and I hate uh, tribalism, which has taken over both parties, um, I think that uh, tribalism might actually end up causing a bigger call for term limits because what's really funny about this whole process is how, you know, first of all, how long politicians are in office, but a lot of them were there for 98. And it's funny to watch both parties do like a complete 180 on you know the arguments that Nancy Pelosi and Jerry Nadler and all these Democrats were making when the Republicans were going after Clinton, everyone's now just changed positions. And it's really kind of funny because, I mean, it's like 180 degrees. I mean, there's, there's not even any like, oh, well, kind of. No, I mean, it's just a 180 degree turn. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you got clips of people arguing that, that you know, Republicans arguing the president doesn't have to comply with subpoenas. The president doesn't have to do this. You know, I mean, just and all of a sudden Democrats are demanding that this happen, like impeachment must take place. And it's just it's it's hysterical to watch as someone who's kind of disgusted by how tribalistic uh, both parties have gotten. Um, but, I, you know, and speaking of that, do you have that clip of Trey Gowdy where, you know, he just flips out now? He's now the, the president's uh, counsel um, and he's flipping out at Barack Obama for not responding to their subpoenas. I do withhold information and documents from Congress, no matter whether you're the party in power or not in power, is wrong. Respect for the rule of law must mean something irrespective of the vicissitudes of political cycles. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much just shows how things have changed. Now, that doesn't mean that that um, Gowdy shouldn't be uh, the president's attorney. I mean, an attorney represents people they don't necessarily agree with. I mean, you have the right to counsel and everything else. So, I mean, I'm not saying that Trey Gowdy even you know agrees with Trump. In fact, he probably doesn't, to be honest with you. But he got hired and he's going to do a job. But, you know, that represents where the Republican Party was when they were in the minority uh, or even in the majority, I should say. And there was a, a, a Democrat in the executive uh, branch. And now that things have changed, all of a sudden they're cheering on Donald Trump, ignoring subpoenas from the House and fighting them in court. And it's just funny to watch. And that was an even shorter time window. At least the impeachment window is like, we're talking 20 years. This is like three years. We've seen this change happen. So uh, I do think this is, a, this is a good argument for term limits because then, you know, you get all new people in there and they don't look as stupid as all of the people in Washington do now. 
You know, it's interesting, Tyler, because I went back and read Federalist 65, which is was written by Alexander Hamilton under a pseudonym, arguing for the wisdom of the Constitution. And one of the controversies was who should try an impeachment after articles of impeachment are brought by the House of Representatives. Should it be the Senate? Should it be the Supreme Court? Should it be a group that is entirely independent and constituted just for such a purpose. And in that, he actually recognizes exactly what we're seeing right now and predicted. And it it just reminds me of the wisdom of the founders. And let me paraphrase from Federalist 65. Impeachment concerns offenses that are inherently political because they relate chiefly to injuries inflicted on the society itself. So prosecuting impeachment will almost always inflame the passions of the entire country and divide it into camps friendly to the accused and those who are opposed to them. In many cases, the sides will be divided along existing party lines, inheriting all their animosities, biases, influences, and political interests. And there's always a danger that impeachment comes down to which side is politically stronger rather than a real demonstration of innocence or guilt. That's not an exact quote. I paraphrased it because the way that people wrote back in uh, the (laughs) 18th century is often confusing for us to interpret now. But Hamilton recognized that this political tribalism is part of the process because this is an inherently political process. But that being said, because the Republicans, many of whom are still in Congress right now, were around during the Clinton impeachment and on the other side of it, they have made a lot of constitutional arguments that really are going to be difficult to reconcile with a position against the impeachment inquiry the Democrats are bringing now. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, was there a legitimate reason to impeach President Bill Clinton? Yeah, I mean, he lied under oath. Should they have impeached him? That's another debate. And that's sort of where we are right now. Where And, and, and then there's the other reality is, is that I also remember during the 98 uh, impeachment and then when it went to the Senate, the Democrats were asking Rehnquist, because the chief justice oversees the, the actual trial in the Senate, to give directions to the senators to say, you know, you have to, your vote must be, you know, based off of, you know, these laws and whether or not, you know, Bill Clinton lied facing, you know, th- these statutes or whatever they may be. And Rehnquist was like, no, because it's very clear that unlike a trial, a senator can decide whether or not to remove or not remove based on any criteria. You know, obviously, if you're a jury, a jury member during a trial, you can only use what is introduced into evidence um, in the courtroom. Can't use anything else. If you do, um, you know, it's a mistrial. Um, you know, it, you just can't do it. That is not the case when it comes to the Senate. If, if a senator goes, you know what, I'm voting to impeach Donald Trump because of his, his, how long his stupid ties are. That's allowed. I mean, that is 100% allowed. You do not have to only make your decision based on what is introduced in Evans, which also makes a difficult argument um, for a lot of these legal arguments that are being made, because while it is, I believe, a quasi-judicial process, at the same time, the decision is not. I mean, they can make any decision they want to remove a president. And that, I think, really kind of hurts these arguments about how important these constitutional protections are, because those protections matter, because when you're in a courtroom, If you get a ruling that, oh, you didn't introduce that properly, that evidence was obtained improperly, so it is not part of the trial, and that could actually help your defense, that's not the case with the Senate. They can can use any criteria they want. And so uh, that, I think, also hurts the argument that the Republicans are making that, oh, you know, you need to follow these constitutional 
uh, ideas. And true, it's good if they do. I think the Democrats would be smart to, but they're under no obligation to do so. Yeah. And I think it's so. So when it comes down to it, the impeachment process is is an inherently political process. It is not a criminal trial, although the president generally is recognized to have due process rights to confront his accuser yeah. when the Senate tries an impeachment inquiry, if the House ends up passing articles of impeachment. But it's still not a criminal trial and a criminal process in the strictest sense. And in fact, when the founders set this up, they recognized that impeachment is limited. Impeachment is limited to removal from office and barring of holding of high honors and and an office of high public trust in the future. That's what the Constitution says. It's very specific. And the founders recognized that the implication of this is that any criminal offenses that may be subject to an impeachment inquiry would would be handled separately, potentially while they're out of office. Back to Federalist 65, Alexander Hamilton points this out in observing one of the reasons that the Supreme Court is a bad venue for an impeachment trial. And he says that another problem with impeachment is that it does not preclude criminal prosecution once a person impeached is removed from office. Wouldn't the same court system that judged a person in an impeachment trial be hopelessly biased towards a similar outcome in a subsequent criminal prosecution? Anyone who understands anything about human nature, Hamilton writes, understands the answer is yes. And the same court that impeached and removed a person from office would almost certainly be guaranteed to convict them in a criminal prosecution, too. So having the Supreme Court as a venue for impeachment trial would make it impossible for someone to get a fair trial in a subsequent criminal case. So. Impeachment is not a criminal process. You can't get awful in technicalities, although you can get awful in having more political allies than the people who want to remove you from office, which may indeed be the case if an impeachment was to ever go to the United States Senate. But we should talk, Tyler, probably about the substance of it. The question of impeachment is not whether the president broke laws. It's whether you believe that using the leverage that the office of the presidency affords to compel foreign countries to take steps in investigating a political opponent in order to benefit politically is appropriate or is not. Is that a violation of the public trust? Is it not? How you answer that question is really the answer to the question of whether or not the president should be impeached. Yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of interesting because that was also one of the arguments um, a lot with regards to the Russian investigation, where it, everyone kind of realized that collusion is not really a crime. But if a president was colluding with a foreign power, should we remove him from office? And you know, these debates that we never thought we'd ever be having, and I don't think our founders ever even thought we'd be having, now, all of a sudden, we're having this conversation. And so the argument really sort of came down to with regards to, because I actually happen to agree, Andy McCarthy wrote about this for the National Review and some other people have written about it. You know, can the president obstruct justice because he is the head of the Justice Department and the investigative branch, uh, the investigative wing of the executive branch is, it's hard to argue that he's obstructing justice because, you know, he is justice. So what is he really doing? Well, he's abusing his power. That's the issue. And so it came down to abuse of power. There's probably no crime in the president obstructing the Russian investigation, because I do truly believe that it's impossible for someone to head up that to be the executive and, and get obstruction because it's just the prosecutor has, you know, what do they call it? Um, um, prosecutorial discretion. So that sort of applies where he can do that. But would it be an abuse of power? Yes. And so that's sort of where we are here. 
where I don't know if it's a crime to use. I mean, quid pro quo, as everyone said, is used all the time, right? That's one of the benefits of being America is that we can use our weight and we can use the fact that we give aid to people. And I mean, it's true. Biden was on video you know, bragging about using the weight of the United States and the loans that we are going to guarantee to Ukraine to, to fire the prosecutor. There's nothing wrong about that. Now, if you're doing it for the benefit of America, which arguably Biden was, that's okay. And I, I think actually, speaking of Andy McCarthy, I think he wrote about this recently as well, saying that a lot of times it can be true that a president's personal interest can also align with the country's interest. So if the president is truly looking into an investigation into Ukraine to see if there is corruption and therefore something that we need to look at and figure out, that's fine. And if it happens to also benefit him because we get Joe Biden and his, his opponent is okay, but there needs to be that component. Just like Barack Obama and what was happening under his administration that started the Russian investigation. I mean, that's what's kind of funny about this whole situation is that a lot of the arguments being made by Republicans are essentially justifying what the Obama administration did. They had legitimate concerns that Donald Trump was colluding with a foreign power. They investigated it. They began the investigation. And it's funny to hear Republicans argue that the president has not only a responsibility, but a constitutional responsibility to investigate corruption. And what they're basically arguing is that, is that Barack Obama was justified in starting an investigation of Trump based on the evidence. And so that is the question is, did Barack Obama investigate Donald Trump for his or Hillary's benefit in that case, or because it was good for the country to know whether or not a possible future president was colluding with the foreign power. And this situation is it in America's interest to know if there is corruption in the Ukraine or is Donald Trump solely doing it to help himself out in 2020? That's the only question that we need to answer. Well, let's back up. Okay. I think I, I think that in the Russia investigation, that's a, a moot point. You can't draw a parallel between the two because the Russia investigation was something that concerned a bigger issue of Russia's attempts to impact the election in the United States. It wasn't specifically the concern, at least initially, that Donald Trump was colluding. That was a secondary concern and, and, and a bigger deal if he were to actually become president. But before he became president, the bigger issue and the reason that the Obama administration, at least at the White House level, was so concerned about this is, is there a threat to the sanctity of our election process? The other thing is, is that unlike the issues with Joe Biden, that President Trump is specifically trying to serve up for an election, the Obama administration was extremely careful and the FBI was extremely careful to make sure that before the election, that it did not get out that the FBI was actually pursuing an investigation. Now, there were some stories based on links that involved uh, Christopher Steele like a day or two before the election about this. But up until that point, the FBI tried to make it clear that they were not seeing problems with Donald Trump specifically because they didn't want to interrupt the election. And, and you may remember that infamous New York Times story from late October of 2016, where the headline was the FBI investigating Trump's Russia's ties finds no evidence of anything inappropriate going on. So they were not trying to use that and leverage it in an election. 
at that time. Now, the Trumpers will argue, oh, well, they were looking for an insurance policy in case he got elected. So they had a way to get him out of office, yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, if he was a agent of a foreign power, the country does need to know that (laughs) the Congress needs to impeach him. But the reality is, is that this was not a explicitly political exercise. Now, everything a politician does probably has some politics informing it. But the question is whether those that they actually executed on the idea of trying to damage Trump politically. And the answer to that is no. With the Trump situation, it's entirely different. He specifically is making these claims and allegations in public, even prior to all this stuff coming out about him trying to get the Ukrainians to open investigation. He's been trying to cast shade on Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and his role in Ukraine and in China, and to cast shade on Joe Biden himself. It's explicitly political. He explicitly expects this to damage Joe Biden politically. That is his purpose. And let's face it, the president has never heretofore demonstrated a big concern about pursuing corruption (laughs) until now. I mean, he always accuses people of being corrupt that are his political enemies. But Eamon Javers of CNBC asked the president a question when he was on the White House lawn a couple days ago. Okay, we hear you. You're concerned about corruption. What corruption cases have you brought to a foreign leader that don't concern a political opponent? And the president said, I'll have to get back to you. What I, what I do, I do want to clarify, I wasn't comparing, I wasn't necessarily comparing the two. I mean, I think there's a huge difference, as you pointed out. All I was saying is that the big question, usually when it comes to when a president is doing something, is he doing it for his own benefit or is he doing it for the country's benefit? And that's, that's what Republicans try and argue with Obama, right? I mean, that's, they're, they're trying to argue that Obama, the only reason that he started that, that Russian investigation was to look into Trump and end Trump. And we know that's not true. but that's the argument they're making. Because if that's the truth, that's a problem. And that's what the Democrats are arguing about. Trump is the only reason he cares about Ukraine is because it could hurt Joe Biden. You know, when it comes to foreign policy and when it comes to the president, they have a lot of power. But that is one thing that they do not have the power to do, to do something that only benefits them. That is a clear abuse of power. Well, that's all the time we have for this week on Axis of Reason. Thank you so much for listening and spending 30 minutes of your time with us. If you like this podcast, Don't forget to like, comment, share it with your friends on social media, and hit that subscribe button in your Apple Podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, I'm Taylor Griffin for Tyler Crowley. Thanks for listening.